the beginning point and the foundation for this is God's Word, that we stand on the Word of God. We, in fact, a couple times over the last few weeks, we closed out the service with the little Sunday school song, the B-I-B-L-E, that's the book for me, I stand alone on the Word of God. Amen. And the reason we believe, the, the reason we believe that the Bible is valid, what gives it support is the historical fact of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That Jesus died and rose again from the dead demonstrates that he really was who he claimed to be, that he was, he was and is the sinless Lamb of God, the one who came and gave his life to take away the sins of the world and then rose again on the third day. And that's where we begin. We begin with that foundation and we build from there. But that means that, that still doesn't mean that all of our questions, all of our issues are resolved. There's still a lot of other questions that remain and uh, questions that perplex us and trouble us. I suppose there's probably uh, not any bigger question or problem uh, that has bothered more people than this question. Simply this, why do bad things happen to good people? Why do bad things happen to good people? This is a question that has perplexed people throughout history. If you are to talk today to people about faith and uh, the existence of God and uh, the Bible, Christianity, things of that nature... Most of the time, it's not very long before someone will bring up this uh, argument to you. If there is a good God, if there is a powerful God, then why is it that there are so many bad things that happen in the world today? These questions go back throughout history. By the way, most of the questions that we ask today are not new questions. Uh, the questions that people ask today, the reasons that people come up with as to why not believe, why not uh, trust in God, why, uh, why should we uh, believe the Bible, the, all of these things uh, people have been asking, people have been saying these things for hundreds, even thousands of years. We can go back in our Bibles to the Psalms. And uh, in the book of Psalms, uh, well, for, for example, Psalm 73, there the psalmist says, uh, verse 3, I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. They have no pangs until death. Their bodies are fat and sleek. They are not in trouble as others are. They are not stricken like the rest of mankind. Therefore, pride is their necklace. Violence covers them as a garment. 
Their eyes swell out through fatness. Their hearts overflow with follies. In other words, the psalmist here is saying, I look at wicked people, sinful people, people who are not making the right choices. They are not living according to God's word. And he says, I see them prosperous and flourishing. And God, if your way is the right way and your law is the best way, then why is it that evil people seem to be prosperous and flourishing? Another place where the psalmist points this out. In fact, he brings his question before God in Psalm 94, verse 3. And uh, this is the King James Version reading. Uh, He asks this question, Lord, how long shall the wicked... How long shall the wicked triumph? Have any of you ever wondered? Maybe you have grown up in faith tradition uh, that has you so securely settled that that it's never bothered you. Maybe this question has never been a problem for you or never never troubled you at all. Uh, But how many of you like me, would be honest enough to say, yeah, pastor, I have sometimes wondered, why is it that bad things happen to good people? Anybody besides me? Yeah. Yeah. Why do bad things happen to good people? Why are there things like mass shootings that take place where Some of the most innocent among us, like the children in the classrooms, lose their lives needlessly. Why does racial division and strife tear us apart as a nation, as community, when the reality is we all bleed the same? Why is it that those that are the most defenseless, like the unborn, are at risk of their lives because of abortion. Why is there a necessity for police officers and courts? Uh, I mean, I know people like Maurice need a job, but uh, beyond that, why do he works for the courts? So, Why is it that there are so many criminals, so many lawbreakers, so much imbalance and inequity, people uh, where there's a, there's a society where the powerful uh, take control and there are those that are marginalized in society and, and have no ability seemingly to better themselves? Problems like illnesses like COVID and cancer, mental illness, depression, suicides, earthquakes, tornadoes, homelessness, hunger, and the list can go on and on and on and on. All of these problems. You see, if God is all good then he wants only what is good. If God is all-wise, then he knows the difference between good and evil. And if God is all-powerful, then certainly he has the power to eliminate evil from the world. But we know evil in many forms continues to exist in this world that we live in. 
If that's the case, then either God isn't good or he isn't wise or he isn't powerful. That would be the conclusion that many would come to. And many have turned away from faith in God, have rejected the idea of God because of this very fact that evil, can, that evil continues to exist. That's one thing that we could do with this conundrum. This has been called throughout history the problem of evil. If God is all good, all knowing, all powerful, then why does evil continue to exist? What are we supposed to do with this? Well, one thing we could do is we could reject faith. We could turn away from God and turn away from His Word uh, and, and say, you know, this is just it's, just, it's just life. It doesn't make sense. We just deal with it the best we know how. This is what a man named Charles Templeton did. Templeton was a close friend and at one time a pulpit partner of Billy Graham. In fact, there were those who uh, believed that in their younger years that Charles Templeton would surpass Billy Graham as an evangelist. Both of these men, both Charles Templeton and Billy Graham, experienced a crisis of faith in their lives. Billy Graham chose, though, to exercise his faith and trust the testimony of Scripture and believe God. And, of course, we know what Billy Graham's life amounted to. How many of you, probably a few of you, anybody ever heard the name Charles Templeton? Any of you? Yeah. Not too surprising. You have to read and study a little bit more to know about Charles Templeton. Templeton continued to listen to his doubts, and he came to one critical moment in his life. He said he saw a photo on the cover of Life magazine. In his own words, he said it was a picture of a black woman in northern Africa where they were experiencing a devastating drought. And she was holding her dead baby in her arms and looking forlornly up at the sky. And he said, I looked at this picture and I thought, is it possible to believe that there is a loving or caring creator when all this woman needed was rain? And it was at that moment that Charles Templeton decided to turn away from his faith and he became an agnostic and lived the rest of his life down to the point of death having rejected God, rejected faith. So is that a reasonable answer to this question, this problem of evil, to reject faith, to turn away from faith? I want to tell you, no, it's, it's not a good option. Two reasons why the choice Templeton made is not a good and a reasonable choice. Two reasons why uh, you and I should not turn from faith, even in the face of the overwhelming evil and trouble and sin in this world. One reason is this, the, the, the existence of an objective moral standard. You see, we rightly recognize many things as evil in this world, right? It's it's not hard for us to, to look at problems around us and say that's wrong and that's wrong and that shouldn't happen and that shooting down in Uvalde and this instance of racism, all of these different things. It's easy for us to point these things out and say this is wrong, right? Everybody with me? So... 
what this tells us is that <clears throat> there is an objective, there is an existence of an objective moral standard. This did not happen because of evolution. You see, moral values are intrinsic to persons, not things. Now, some of you may have to put your thinking caps on and, and get your brains in gear. Moral values are intrinsic to persons, not things. That means moral values come because of a person. A man named C.S. Lewis said this. C.S. Lewis was a man who had been an atheist and, and a, a, a very entrenched in his atheism. But he turned away from atheism to belief in God. And part of the reason that he turned to faith in God was because he came to an understanding of this existence of a moral law that existed outside of us. He said, my argument against God was that the universe seemed so cruel and unjust. But how had I gotten this idea of just and unjust? A man does not call a line crooked unless he has some idea of a straight line. You see, the idea is unless there is... You see, if there is no God, then we have no basis on which to make moral evaluations. If there is no God, then there is no objective moral standard. There is no good or bad. It's just my opinion, my likes and dislikes compared to your likes and dislikes. I heard a story recently about a student that uh, had presented a research paper along these lines. He was arguing against an objective moral standard and saying there is no objective right, no objective wrong. Everything is just, you know, my opinion against your opinion. And he turned his paper in in a blue folder. And his professor gave him an F on his paper and said... The reason I'm giving you an F is because I don't like blue folders. The student said, well, now, wait a minute. That's not fair. I worked hard on that paper, and I, did, I completed the assignment. I, and the teacher said, wait a minute. You said in your paper there's no such thing as objective moral values. No such thing as right or wrong. It's just my opinion, my likes and dislikes against your likes and dislikes. And the professor said, if that's true, then it's perfectly reasonable for me to give you a failing grade just because I don't like blue folders. Are, are you following? So you see, friends... The very fact that we have this built-in understanding that some things are right and some things are wrong points us to the existence of someone who is outside of us who gives us this moral law, this moral code that some things are right and some things are wrong. Where does that come from? It's not just from evolution. 
A second reason for this is the explanation of origins. Where do we come from? <clears throat> if we get rid of God, if we say there is no God, then really the only way to explain the existence of the world is, is by evolution. Um, I could go off on a rabbit trail here, but I'm going to avoid doing that. Um, the problem with evolution is this, especially when we think about the problem of evil and suffering. You all understand uh, what evolution teaches, that, that through a process of millions and millions of years, that the right chemicals got together in the primordial soup and, and you know, eventually some chemical floating around in, in this pea soup came to life and formed a single-cell organism and the single-cell organism formed into something else and, and became a fish and the fish flopped up onto land and, oh, here I am on land, I can't swim anymore and it grew legs and started crawling around and eventually here, here we are. Like one man said, from, from goo to you by way of the zoo. Evolution. However, evolution, which has supposedly been going on for millions and millions of years, says that the world is getting better and better. We're evolving. We're getting better and better. However, that is exactly not what we see in the world that we live in. We do not see a world that's getting better and better. We see a world that's getting worse and worse and devolving into more and more sin and evil and trouble and problem on every hand. More reasons, but just two simple reasons why it's not a good idea to turn from faith. So if there's not any good reason. If it's not a good reason to turn from faith, then big question. What kind of God allows evil to continue to exist? Now, I'm not claiming this morning to give you the conclusive answer to this question. Neither do I want to give you the feeling that I'm giving you cliches and platitudes and simplistic answers that says, well, just, you know, just put a smile on your face, take your lemons and make lemonade, and everything will be good. I know that there are people here who have real problems and have faced real heartache and heartbreak in your life. And for some of you just thinking about this question, it comes close. I, I wanted to, as I was thinking about this, I, I wanted to kind of share with you just a few of my credentials to, to point out to you that I'm, it, it's, it's valid for me to give you these reasons. N not, to, not to say you ought to feel sorry for me or to say, you know, poor, poor pastor. None of that. Just to say, I know what I'm talking about. So I could tell you things about how, you know, when I was a boy, our home caught fire and burnt to the ground on Christmas Eve morning, and our family lost everything that we owned. 
You know, I could, I could tell you about things like my wife losing her younger brother in a car crash, a head-on collision with a drunk driver. I can tell you about things like living with children with disabilities and, and on. I can, I can give you a list of my own personal problems that others have looked at from outside of my life. I've had this happen. How can you believe? How can you trust God? How can you believe in a good God when these things have happened to you? So I'm just, I'm saying all of that not to ask any of you to feel sorry for me, but just to tell you that people with problems, and there are people that have had bigger problems and bigger tragedies than I have experienced, and they still believe in God, and they still follow Jesus Christ. What kind of God allows evil to exist? First of all, an all-powerful God. What does it mean to say that God is all-powerful? It is not to say that God can do anything. There are some things that an all-powerful God cannot do. But an all-powerful God can do anything that is possible, meaningful, and sensical. Possible, meaningful, and sensical. So what kind of things can an all-powerful God not do? Well, for example, an all-powerful God cannot make a self-contradiction. These are things that foolish people uh, that try to argue against the existence of God will say things like, well, you know, if God is all-powerful and he can do anything, then can God make a rock so big that he can't move it? Well, that's nonsense. That's foolishness. Um, God cannot cease to exist, and God cannot make mistakes. Here's another thing that God, an all-powerful God, cannot do. God could not have created humanity both with free will and without the possibility of evil. This tells us that the source of evil, friends, is not related to God's power, but it is connected instead to man's free will. A verse of Scripture in Romans chapter 5, verse 3. I'm sorry, not verse 3. Let me find Romans chapter 5, verse 12. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men, because all sinned. So you see, friends, Sin and evil and suffering and all of the problems that exist that are known to us have come into the world not because of God, but because of man's free will. Then the question comes, well, why give man a free will? Wouldn't an all-powerful, all-knowing God, couldn't he have foreseen all of the problems and all of the suffering that could have happened? And why did he give man the ability to choose anyway? And, and without spending a whole lot of time on that question, I would simply say because of what seems to be God's goal in creation to begin with. Two words that describe God better than all others is the, the two words holy 
love. Holy love. Now, God has existed from eternity past in a loving community that we know as the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And God in creation seems to be desiring to share that community of love with others who can reciprocate that love of their own choice, of their own free will. If God had made us without free will, where we had no choice but to serve Him, we would be either a robot or a slave. That's not real love. Not real love. So the kind of God that allows evil to exist is an all-powerful God. He's also an all-knowing God, an all-knowing God. This means that he is a God who knows good from evil. He knows the difference. He is also a God who knows past, present, and future, and also a God who knows all the possibilities this is kind of beyond what our minds can comprehend. It's beyond what I can grasp in my mind. But it, I believe it's true that God knows not only what I will do, but He knows what I might do, given the opportunity. He knows what I would have done if the situation, if the circumstances were different. And friends, isn't it possible that a loving God could allow suffering to continue in the present because He foresees that the temporary suffering will result in a greater good for more people in the future? Yes, God could miraculously intervene and I have got to tell you, there have been times that I look at circumstances in my own life and things that have happened in the lives of people that I have loved and I have asked God to intervene. I have begged God to intervene and saw that there were times maybe that He did and I thanked Him, but other times that He did not intervene and I have wept and I have cried and, and I've asked God, oh, why couldn't it have been different? Why didn't you change this outcome? Yet I have to come back to this idea that if God is who we believe Him to be, that He is all good, He is all-knowing, that we can trust Him, that for some reason beyond what I can see or comprehend, He knows that the temporary suffering will result in a greater good in the future. Wise parents do this with their children all the time. All the time, wise parents do this with their children. Now, there are a lot of unwise parents out there who try to bail their children out of every difficulty that comes along. But if you are a parent, or maybe even a grandparent, can I just tell you that it's not the wisest thing to bail your child out of every difficulty that they experience? Sometimes the only way they will learn is the hard way. And a wise mom or dad will stand back and say, I've helped enough, I've done enough, 
if you are intent on following this direction, then you will have to suffer the consequences. And I found it true in my own life. There were times that I, I, I realized later, looking back, you know, it was good for me that I learned the hard way. Finally learned the lesson. Wouldn't have learned it any other way. And you see, friends, the best illustration of this in all of history is Jesus on the cross. The very worst evil that has ever taken place brought about the best thing in all the world for all time and for all people, and that is the salvation of the world. Excuse me. He is a God who is all-powerful. He is a God who is all-knowing. Third, he is a God who is all-good. A God who is all-good. Wise parents know that there are times when it is best for our children to learn the hard way. And the demonstration of my goodness as a parent comes not because I'm willing to bail my children out every time they get into a difficulty. That might make my children think that I'm a good parent. But the real demonstration of my goodness as a parent is when I am willing to go against everything that is in me. That, you know, I don't, no parent, no loving parent wants to see their child hurt. No loving parent wants to see their child go through difficulty. Yet there are times when that loving and wise parent will take themselves in hand and will restrain themselves from intervening in their child's life because they want what is best for their child. If this is true with us and with our children, then doesn't it seem possible that God is wise enough to see that we need some pain in our lives for reasons we may not understand, but that He can see will develop our character to be better people? To be the people that we ought to be. Romans chapter 5 verse 3 says this. We rejoice in our sufferings. Knowing that suffering produces endurance. And endurance produces character. And character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame. You see friends, moral character is formed through hardships. Have you ever thought about this? Courage and heroism. These these characteristics that we laud and that we praise in people, they would be impossible in a world without pain and suffering. Not only does suffering develop character, but it sometimes leads those who have strayed to repentance. C.S. Lewis, to quote him again, he said this, God whispers to us in our pleasures. He speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pains. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. Romans chapter 8 verse 28, verse that we hear quoted oftentimes, for we know that all things work together for good. A better way to say that is we know that God is at work in all things for the good of those who love him. <clears throat> Can I just pause for a moment to remind you Not, not to put myself on a pedestal at all, but just, just to remind you, if, if you find any of this a little bit hard to swallow, 
please keep in mind it's coming from someone who has experienced a little bit of my share of hurt and trouble and problems. So I know maybe a little bit from personal experience of what I'm talking about. And I can tell you in the midst of your heartache, in the midst of your problem, that behind all of that, yes, there are answers, there are questions that you cannot answer. And this issue may never be fully resolved to, to your full satisfaction. But friends, I can tell you, and this is my purpose this morning, is simply to tell you, you can look past the tragedy in your life and fix your eyes and fix your faith on a God who is good and who is all wise and who cares about you. Romans chapter 11, verse 33 says this, Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His judgments, and how inscrutable His ways. Friends, we can never scratch the surface of understanding. And we can read back in our Bibles and study the life of a man named Job. And if you've ever read the story of Job or know anything about Job, do you, have you ever thought about this? Job never did get any answers to his questions. Never in this life. The only thing that God provided Job with was this glimpse of a God who was bigger than he was and bigger than his circumstances. Until Job realized his own smallness and God's bigness and came to a point of willingness to trust in God. So then, Pastor, what is the answer? What is the answer? Well, first of all, the problem of evil in this world is not God's problem. It's man's problem. It's not God's problem. It's man's problem. You see, I read the verse to you a few moments ago that sin came into the world as a result of man's choice, our choice, my choice. And you might have thought like me, oh, if I had a if I would have had a chance in the Garden of Eden, if I had had a chance in the Garden of Eden, if you'd had a chance in the Garden of Eden, I don't think any of us would have done anything different than what Adam and Eve did. We would have eventually wound up in the same situation that we're in now. The astounding thing about this, though, is even though it's man's problem, not God's, it is God who provided the answer. He provided the solution. The prob- you see, friends, the problem of evil without God is an impossible, unsolvable problem. You see, friends, I love my wife and children beyond what I can express, and when they hurt, I hurt. But God loves and sees all of His creation. Matthew chapter 10, verse 29 through 31 says this, Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. So you see, friends, 
if our individual pain affects us the way that it does and overwhelms us the way that it does, have you ever thought about this, that God feels the pain of every man, woman, boy, and girl that has ever existed He knows it as a reality through all time. And not only that, but Jesus Christ, the sinless Son of God, went to the cross. Not only the experience, taking on the experience of the excruciating physical torture of the cross, but he was also carrying the sins and the pain and the suffering of the entire world. All of the evil, wickedness, and pain and suffering of this whole world. Compared to the pain and the suffering that we experience, the suffering of Christ on the cross is beyond what any of us can imagine. We ask the question, where is God when we hurt? Where is God when the children are starving in Africa? Where is God when the homeless are hungry on the street and thirsty because it's hot outside and they have very little to drink? Where is God when shootings take place in Uvalde, Texas? Where is God when tornadoes come through more Oklahoma and houses crash down on top of people and school buildings and all of this is going on? I'll tell you where God is. He has entered into the pain and suffering of this world, even though it was not his fault. It is not his responsibility. He entered into the pain and suffering of this world, and he himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, as it says in 1 Peter chapter 2. Have you been broken? Well, friends, he was broken for you. Have you, de- have you been despised? He was despised and rejected of men. Has your heart been broken by grief? He was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Have you been betrayed? He was betrayed and denied by his closest friends. So friends, when we find ourselves in trouble, surrounded by wickedness on every side and pain and suffering overwhelming us, God would have every right to look down his nose at us and say, it's your mess, you figure it out. Oh, but friends, God does not respond in this way. We read the key verse of all of the Bible, John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. Friends, the answer to the problem of evil is not to turn from our faith, but rather it is to run to the Savior who bore our sins and our sorrows in His body on the cross. You may say, well, pastor, that's great uh, as far as an answer, but what about a resolution? You know, Christ on the cross is God entering into the problem of evil, but that, that's like sympathy, you know, like having somebody to hurt alongside of you. That's great. But what about somebody to alleviate, to take away the suffering, to take away the problems, to take away the evil? What about somebody to bring a resolution, an answer to the problem? Well, friends, of Christ on the cross is God entering into the problem of evil and providing us an answer for that problem, then, friends, it is the resurrection that is the guarantee that God will one day balance the scales. This world will not always exist as it does now. 
This world will not always be a problem where sin and suffering and sorrow are are rampant and uh, running out of control around us. But the resurrection is the guarantee that, friends, one day God will make everything right. There's not a pain or a sorrow that you have felt that God will not put to rights. These words in closing from the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. Now, verse 16, so we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day for this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to things that are seen but to the things that are unseen for the things that are seen are transient people that's the point the suffering the sorrow the tragedy that we deal with are temporary they are but for sure. I know it seems like that's all there is. When, when that's, we're just, we're in the pain, we're in the suffering. But friends, it's temporary. It's passing away. For our light afflictions, which are but for a moment, prepare for us an eternal weight of glory as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are temporary, but the things that are unseen are eternal. So friends, look past Look beyond the, the suffering of today, the tragedy of today, the trouble of today, and put your faith in a God who loves us so much that He Himself entered into the pain and suffering of this world, took upon Himself the suffering of this world and carried it to the cross. And then He rose again the third day to show us that one day He will set everything right. Amen. Let's stand together, please.